Welcome to Coworking Out Loud, where we explore the deeper side of coworking, content, and community. I'm your host, Kat Johnson. Hey friends, in this episode of Coworking Out Loud, I'm talking with my dear friend, Laura Shook Guzman, who has a long history as a coworking pioneer. She co-founded Women Who Cowork. She's a somatic psychotherapist who works with entrepreneurs, and she is a wealth of insight and expertise around entrepreneurial burnout, ambition, being conscious about what we do, preventing burnout, all kinds of things. We had a great conversation and I'm excited for you to have a listen. Here we go. Welcome to Coworking Out Loud, Laura. I'm absolutely thrilled to be talking with you. Thank you, Kat. I'm really excited to be here. Um, We always have great conversation and I'm ready to get started. We always just drop right into the good stuff. I appreciate that so much about our friendship and about you. And to give a little context, I, I was thinking this morning, I probably knew you before, but the first time we really kind of connected and I saw you doing your thing was in Austin at the first Women Who Co-Work official gathering. And I remember you, that was a big turning point for me. It was an amazing event. And I I learned a lot of lessons about being real, keeping things real. But I loved how you set the tone for the event. I don't remember the exact words you said, but it was like, if you want to go get a snack, go get a snack. If you need to leave and take a walk around the block, go take a walk. If you need a bio break, do that. Like you just kind of opened it up to feel like, you know, when you're sitting in an event, you're like, oh, when's the break? Or I'm getting stir crazy or something. You completely alleviated all of that. And it was like, oh, we're all just, we all just get to be here as ourselves. And I've since seen you do that a bunch of times. And um, I guess that's a good kickoff place is like just dropping into real conversations and giving people freedom to be who they are that you approach so well in your work. Thank you. And, and absolutely. I love that you picked up on that because it is very intentional for me to start meetings that way, gatherings, because traditionally we as human beings have been very conditioned to be a certain way in our body. A lot of that conditioning being to ignore the needs of the body because we're supposed to be in, you know, showing respect and attention. So even in the classroom, I see it to this day where you know, teachers are, kids are raising hands like, oh, I need to go to the bathroom. And they're like, you don't really need to go right now. Like we got five more minutes. Right. And so we just unintentionally and and parents, you know, you'll be like, put the cat, the jacket on. And the kid says, you know, I'm not cold. Well, yeah, you are. So there's a lot of messages where we parents and teachers that mean well, they're sending us that message that says, no, I, you don't know your body, right? No, don't pay attention to the needs inside your body because there's something else you're supposed to be paying attention to, this external attention. So when I ask my audience or my retreat participants or my group members just to stop for a moment and give themselves permission to check in on what's happening on the inside, mm-hmm. then that's what that is all about. Like if you have to go to the restroom, go. 
stand up. <laughs> Nobody's going to you know, judge you. There's none of that here. And feed your body, move your body. And you're right. Everyone breathes a sigh of relief. I, I can see it and feel it. It's palpable when people realize, oh, it's okay here in this space to pay attention to what's happening inside of me. I honestly, when you said that, that may have been the first event in my entire life that that was ever presented and framed that way. And it's a perfect segue into your work with entrepreneurs, into everything you're doing. And I'd love for you just to kind of deep dive with us about all the things. I know you have various projects going on, but that thing of being so focused on the external world, on success, ambition to do, urgencies, um, even like the strategic piece. Sometimes I just get lost in my brain and I'm like completely unaware of my body for hours, right? Like how, how does this inform your work and everything you're doing with somatic psychotherapy and everything? Hmm. Yeah, great question. So that is the through line um, of all of my work is the inner psychology, the somatics, body awareness, body intelligence. And I'm a, you know, a bit of a serial entrepreneur. I come from a generation, I'm like third generation entrepreneur. So I have my private practice, which is conscious ambition. Just like you said, ambition is something that we can get so fixated on. And I found that with my, in my therapeutic uh, work as a clinician, as a psychotherapist, that many of my clients were unconsciously pursuing their ambitious desires and sacrificing themselves and their mental health to get to whatever that goal. And often what they had been taught or shown externally, you know, like this is what needs to happen. And so I'm pursuing it and completely disconnecting from the self. So in that work, in my private practice, I work as a psychotherapist to really go down into the unconscious to tap into the intelligence, not just of the mind, but of the body. Um, so I weave in um, both the cognitive behavioral therapy, narrative therapies, and the body-based somatic interventions. And so then that led me to open a co-working space in 2008. <laughs> <That's> you do. <laughs> I was like, oh wait, <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, well, to your point earlier, we were talking about a little bit, you know, loneliness, how many people are lonely. I was, you know, afraid of going into private practice alone as an entrepreneur. So when I started Conscious Ambition, I also, you know, like you do, started a co-working space at the same time. <laughs> And back then we didn't really know much of what we were doing. We're all throwing spaghetti on the wall. And, um, but that was in Austin, Texas in 2008. I basically put a call out to all of the people in my community, health and wellness entrepreneurs, mostly that were my community of people. And so we started to come together, but I said to them from the beginning, we're creating an intentional community in which we're prioritizing your health, mm. your well-being." From the inside out, I want you to come work alongside of me and let's do this ambition thing. Let's do our ambitions and let's do it with intent. So there was on-site yoga. There was a garden. There were on-site, you know, other clinicians, um, nutritionists, yoga teachers. And so we would actually work with, you know, each other or we'd bring in uh, lunch and learns where we would talk about stress management strategies. And then of course we had the creatives that started coming in. We had a lot of the, the Austin art community creatives that were saying, I don't know anything about business. Can I come in and, and join your co-working space? And so we began to learn alongside mm -hmm. one another, 
But that was always that focus that we need to be paying attention to what's happening on the inside. So it wasn't surprising that when the third company came along, Women Who Cowork was my last and most recent, and that was to help the you know women and gender diverse community in the co-working industry to form their own sense of community, to have their voice, to talk about the obstacles that they faced uniquely as underrepresented founders, a lot of them bootstrapping and, and handling a lot of the emotional labor in their communities and the financial burdens. But it wasn't just going to stop there because this was not how I did things. I wasn't going to just talk about the external. I was like, and how is this making you feel? Being a co-working founder is innovative. It's it's new. It's like you don't have a lot of people that understand what you're doing. It's isolating. So we're going to talk about what's happening in your mental health, mm. what's happening inside of you as you craft this community that you're building. And what are you seeing among entrepreneurs at large, but also with co-working space operators? This is just this huge influx. Like it went from little DIY movement to wherever we are now, but what are you seeing from operators? Because it's hard. Running a space is hard. I've never done it. I have the most, I have the highest appreciation and respect for people who run in-person communities because it's a lot. It's like you're doing the newsletter. Here comes a tour. Oops, a member's having a problem. We're out of toilet paper. Now this other thing, it's just like multitasking and task switching all the time while also being this like incredibly high emotional touch kind of jobs. Like it's a lot. What are you, what are you seeing? Yes. Yes. I am, you know, continuing to see that a lot of operators, founders are feeling even though they think they're trying to do all the right things, a lot of them are reporting just overwhelm and burnout, concern of burnout, trying to be preventative. Mm. Like like many of the founders, when they come into a um, one of our programs, so women who co-work will do um, you know retreats from time. We've been doing online retreats, or we'll do a workshop on energy management and such. And then those people are coming because they're saying, you know, I really want to stay in this line of work, but I don't know how. To manage it mm. at times. I, I don't know how to set boundaries. I think boundaries are kind of, I mean, I would say one of the things I see the most is a founder operator, especially sole manager, founder, really struggling to put in the boundaries for self-care and time to take care of the things that give them energy because there's so many needs. There's so many needs and they're trying to meet them all. So a lot of it is normalizing for people, of course, you're having a normal reaction of overwhelm to sort of abnormal levels of stress. So how can we look at the environment to help? This is where my business partner comes in really handy. Ours, Kavanaugh, she's a lot more of the operational, even though she and I both have run spaces. I like to say she's sort of the, the, um, the go-to for how, how to automate this. You know, I'm like, okay, so this is what I need you to do as the leader. I'm like working with her. We're working with that woman individually. This is what I would suggest you do. And then talk to Iris how you can change that system inside your space in order to automate that or make that happen. And, you know, I ran my space for 12 years. And so I do know I'm not naive to how difficult it is. So when I'm giving advice to a manager operator, I'm really right there with them. Like I remember the days in which I literally came home shaking my head thinking, 
what happened to all the things I was supposed to get done today? And I feel like I was so busy and yet nothing off of my list got done. It was all of the things that showed up in front of me Mm -hmm. because it's a community that I'm responsive to, you know, constantly their needs. So I would say what I'm seeing is still a lot of people coming into the co-working industry, a lot of women opening spaces. They're not being deterred, but they're also asking more now than ever, how do I prevent burnout? How do I learn to manage my mental health? How do I consider the mental health of my community? How do I set the boundaries between being a community builder in a container and not having to feel like I'm caretaking or saving, rescuing, you know, becoming the mental health professional that's beyond their scope. I mean, that's deep work around boundaries and humans and all the things. And it circles back to the first thing we talked about that we're in this culture, not given a lot of permission and encouragement of like, what do you need right now? What does your body need? So we tend to just like keep going. Like even when I'm getting to that place where I'm a little fried, I'm, I wake up overwhelmed. I'm new thing. I'm like, okay, I just have to, if I do this number of things, then that will take the load off. So it's like, it takes it from overwhelmed to just below overwhelm. But that tends to be like the space I reside in. And I remember one time we were having a conversation and I forget the phrase you used. Maybe it was like restorative rest or something, but you're like, it's not Netflix rest because if I take a weekend of Netflix, I feel like hell at the end of that weekend. So will you talk a little bit about that for people, like just on a very practical level for co-working people, for people listening to the show? Um, What does that look like to do restorative rest and prevention when you know you're always close to burnout? Yeah, such a great question. And I think this one is what I'm talking about a lot in my work with clients is how are they learning to deeply rest and restore? There is actually a recovery period that we all need. Performance psychology knows this. Athletes know this. There is a lot of science that shows, right, where we are most um, productive, what we can, there's research that showing a 90 minute sprint is what the brain is, mm-hmm. when the brain is most sharp, you know, and people talk about like, go to a four to six hour workday, you really only have the top 20% of your day for that kind of high level thinking. So like sprinting, resting, sprinting. But what's interesting is even though we have all of this information, we still treat our bodies like machines Mm -hmm. and we just plug in and we start doing it and we don't think I'm going to do this until I need to recover. We're just like, I'm going to do it until it's done and doing something just grinding until it's done means that you're going to have a collapse at the end of that energy output because you're going to energy output And then you're going to push and it's basically like driving a car, you know, (laughs) when it's out of gas and you're just like ruining it, the transmit, you know, just like everything. And that's what we're doing to our bodies. And then we're like, I wonder why my body won't work. Yeah. Why am I anxious and tired? And yeah, you know, it's like, what's wrong with me? It's like, well, there's not been enough recovery. And so the recovery restorative rest is thinking about What is it that helps my body actually come back? So come back to yourself. We use the word embodied a lot. And what that means, if you hear somebody say, be embodied, 
It just means that you need to return to your felt senses, drop out of the mind, get familiar with what's happening below the neck and just feel your feet on the floor. Look out your window and if you're noticing what you see, like, oh, I see this and I feel the breeze on my face or I hear this. And it's like, come back into your mm-hmm. senses. And that's something we don't do when we're watching Netflix or like we're just doing, dis- you know, kind of disconnecting. Like I'm all about a good binge of Netflix, but I do know that that's kind of a disconnection and not an embodiment practice. So I can do that for a bit, but then I need to then get out my yoga mat and go, you know, lay on the floor, legs up the wall or take some deep breaths or take, go for a walk and feel my feet hitting the ground and just come back to myself, right? And when we return to our body, the present moment is where we refuel. It's like using the best fuel out there. It's like being in the charger station, come back to yourself, ground in and do things that feel much more. It's not, it doesn't have to be sleep. It's just much more intentional and present. That's like giving yourself this high octane gas. It's like giving yourself that boost so that when, you know, now you can come back to that task and you know what, what would have taken you eight hours to do, you can do in 90 minutes. So and true. this is the fallacy that's so like people are just, they don't want to try it out because there's the conditioning, like, like we talked about earlier, that more hours means like more better work, but it's actually not the case. And we don't have any evidence in the scientific community that shows that to be true. That shows just keep grinding, even when you're completely right. depleted. <laughs> Just keep going. And it's like, doesn't work. And I have to. So I, this is the thing I'm most I've been most excited to talk with you about. So as an entrepreneur, as an ambitious person, as somebody who I want to get to the end of my life, my biggest fear used to be that I would be laying on my deathbed and go, shit, I didn't do anything. And I don't have that fear anymore, right? Now that I've taken up the entrepreneur mantle and doing all the things and building the ecosystem and all that, um, that is not a concern. And um, it's interesting to me that it's like if you want to do something extraordinary, you have to do extraordinary things, right? Like... I'm always trying to find that balance because at night, oftentimes I'm strategizing, I'm doing big picture stuff, I'm mind mapping, I'm like, okay, would this project work out? I'm like playing things out um, in my mind, which it's really, it's really stimulating to my brain. It really lights me up of like, oh, I think that would work or I need to talk to this person. And um, I also am a person whose brain is so busy that I wake up and I'm awake from like two to four in the morning going. So I want to get your take on. Like there is some bit of being willing to do what everyone won't. Right. Like if we want to do something just that, if we want to do something extraordinary, if we want to build something truly meaningful, we have to be willing, I think. And tell me if you feel differently. We have to be willing to do a little more, to hustle a little harder. And I don't mean in like toxic hustle, but just like in doing the small things, doing your absolute best. So I'd love to hear like how that kind of interfaces with you. Yes, yes. This is a question that I have sat with, with my clients, within myself. I'm so curious about this almost a friction or somewhat this 
polarization that can occur where we have these parts of ourselves that want to go all out and want to achieve and be ambitious. And we're told that that's a great thing. We've been rewarded for that as a great thing. And um, being able to do that is what we're supposed to do, right? It's like that seems like the goal. And then these other, this other part of me that notices, but I'm not always actually taking care of myself. I'm sacrificing my mental health. I'm doing it at a cost that I don't think mm. I really want to pay. So what is that? What does that leave us if we're, we're stuck in that liminal space? And one of the things I teach my entrepreneurs is first and foremost, becoming an entrepreneur is about embracing what Parker Palmer, he's someone who calls this the tragic gap, this liminal space that we know that on one hand, we're constantly like striving for something more, but there's always going to be the impermanence of just like, okay, life is uncertain. And so how do we sort of embrace, like, I don't always know what's actually going to happen in this entrepreneurial space. And part of me with that discomfort wants to strive and strive and hustle and hustle, but it's best to accept the gap, accept that liminal space as something that, oh, how do I learn to be with the, the discomfort of this? How do I learn to be with the discomfort of maybe I might fail? Maybe I won't reach my goal. Maybe I won't get that next series of um, funding, right? It's like part of the thing is that we're afraid to sit with what the reality is of what we chose. We chose entrepreneurship because... It is literally means taking on the burden. It's to take on a task mm -hmm. and to carry that. So that's a hard thing to do. And when we fight the discomfort, when it's like something's wrong with me, or I don't want to feel this feeling or I'm not enough, then we have to start asking ourselves, is the hustle in pursuit of making sure that I'm good enough, that I'm safe, secure, and lovable? Is that what this really is? Because the pursuit of my ambition will never bring you those things. Those things come from self-connection and relation to other. Right? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I'm going to, um, yeah, something you said that we sacrifice the present in pursuit of like, when I have my empire built, then I will be happy. <laughs> but in the meantime, I'm going to yes. be a tortured, anxious mess. And the thing I love, like entrepreneurship gives us so much freedom. I feel so grateful every single day that I, my work is aligned with my purpose and my values and my vision and my community and just like full steam ahead. It it really lights me up and I have to be careful. Um, and also the, the trap, what you just said, taking on everything, like there are certain things, if I don't do them, they won't get done. And then it's like a cascade where then other people who are waiting on me aren't doing the thing. So that's when I'm, you know, up at five and still working at 10 PM and it's like not feeling great. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, you know, this is probably a much bigger conversation than we can even have as far as, and I'm not able to give the audience the listeners like an exact solution. What I want them to get curious about though, is what is driving their ambition and 
when they can also accept that being an entrepreneur has that risk. And that doesn't mean that um, there's something wrong with you, that you're anxious. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you when you're nervous or afraid of failing, but bring attention to this. You know, I call it sort of my three C's of leadership is to be able to connect to what you're feeling, get curious about it and bring compassion. It'll work every time, right? I can connect to the, my sense of fear that I'm not enough and I'm letting my clients down, right? I'm afraid to fail and I can get into my body and I can feel, what does that feel like? Cause I have trauma around not making, making, not being able to make sure everyone is okay. So if I start to feel that I'm displeasing and I'm not keeping everybody happy, then I have a sinking feeling in my stomach. And if I stop, I can connect and I can notice that. And then I can get really curious about, well, what did I even say? Why did I say yes to this in the first place? Oh yeah. Remember how you had that red flag and you already thought that it was too much and you should have not said yes, but you said yes anyway. And so you actually betrayed your own boundary. Oh yeah. Lesson to self. Like there's the compassion piece. Oh, okay. You can be really gentle to yourself because you really wanted it and you wanted to go for it and you wanted to make everyone around you happy. And of course you did, but that's not your job to make them happy. And mm. next time, remember to set the boundary because this is what it feels like when you don't have that allegiance to self and it kicks you in the butt, right? I'm the current chapter of my life is giving me lots of opportunities to practice setting boundaries. And that is some warrior stuff because it's not just, okay, I set a boundary. I said what I needed. I said what is going to work for me. But then being willing to sit with all the fallout of people are upset or disappointed or what or frustrated. You broke the patterns. And I mean, it's it's some interesting stuff just saying what we need. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, what I just the pattern that I'm seeing that I've seen with my clients I see over and over is just that a lot of times they come into my office just never having thought about what is this underlying need that I have to achieve this? What am I trying to prove? What do I need this for? And, and it often comes back and it may sound, you know, cliche, but as a therapist, like we take it back into the developmental stages, what happened along the way in your childhood that may, you know, do you, does this, if, is this familiar? Is this feeling familiar? And many of them will say, oh yeah, you know, I mean, ever since my mom died unexpectedly at the, you know, when I was 15 and I was the eldest, then I started paying the bills. I started going to work. I started taking care of everybody. And then we kind of connect to that. We're like, Hmm, you know, what, what, it, what might that, how does that play in right now? You, you're in the place where you're the CEO, you're the founder, everyone's looking to you for payroll. You're feeling like nobody, you're, somebody could die if you don't do exactly what you need to do. It's interesting how you've recreated this pattern now. And it's possible if you haven't gotten conscious that all your old protective um, measure, your, your protective strategies are going to come out. So if you were overeating, you know, going to the fridge late at night and, and trying to deal with that anxiety, or you were reaching for alcohol, or you were starting to have... Um, you know, uh, episodes of depression where you could, you just totally numbed out. It's like, those are going to show up again 
because your mind body recognizes that you're in a similar Mm -hmm. situation and they start to deploy those parts of you start to deploy the same protective strategies to stay safe. And then you're coming into my office upset at this dang anxiety that's keeping everything, you know, that's ruining everything. And I say, well, we might want to learn what would happen to you if that anxious part wasn't here anymore. Because you think you don't need it. But if you ask that part, it's going to tell you that it thinks it's saving your life. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I want to get your perspective on something. What about the idea that... Like I, I played it small for a long time. I spent a lot of years doing fun jobs, but I really wasn't pushing myself or even following my interests much. It was just kind of default setting. Um, and one of the things now is like the pursuing my potential. I want to see what I can do. And what I've done so far, I'm like, okay, I feel proud of the times I'm out of my comfort zone a lot. And I can look and be like, good, I see growth and I want to see where I can go. So part of pushing myself is like that potential piece, like what, what can I do? The, the people who I admire in the world, um, they do big things. Right. So how does that play into into all of this? Mm, I'm glad you asked that question, because even just like this, the potential, the self potential brings me to, you know, the work of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so much of where I and actually I even say this on my website. Right. I work with clients that are interested in seeing their work as more than a calling uh, or more than a you know, a career, but Mm -hmm. a calling to help themselves actualize. So the reason I work with people (laughs) like you, Kat, like founders and entrepreneurs is because so many are on a pursuit Mm -hmm. to not just succeed for the sake of succeeding. There really is this sense of being able to push their, like this developmental edges that they will come up against. And they're like trying to, to grow and expand and be the biggest aspects, you know, the, the most of fulfill their potential. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love working with them because really when, by the time people come into my office, they've been on that pursuit, but their mental health is starting to have this decreased functionality. Mm -hmm. Like they're having impaired functioning. And so they're like, how am I ever And I just, you know, for the, for the longest time, my body just performed like I wanted it to. And so I just kept going and kept pushing it. I kept doing this and, you know, it was fine, but now I've hit a glass ceiling or this, I've hit a ceiling. I don't know what it is, but I'm not reaching my potential anymore. And they want me to be like, you know, tell me how I can just blast through. I can do more. (laughs) How can I do more? And so we have to have this moment of reckoning where it's like, Mm. actually the next step for you to evolve your development and expand and reach your fullest potential is going to take some slowing Mm. down, tuning in and recalibrating because whatever it is that you are here to do, you have that wisdom. My belief, most of the time I see it in my clients, they already know what they need to know, but they, 
have been going so much and they're so focused on that external reward or what other people think that they've stopped listening. Mm -hmm. And so they can't reach their fullest potential because they're not connected to themselves. Right? Yep. And it doesn't mean a forever stop. This is what's scary. Right. Like, I don't know how to stop. And I have, I don't know how to stop. It's like, well, we don't, we're not going to just do the exit, but like, that's actually will happen to you. If you're not careful, your body will do the eject and you will end oh, up man. in the hospital. Mm. Right. Wow. So there are people have like heart attacks and stress and strokes, mm. and there's lots of serious physical results. And I've heard founders speak. Now they're advocates for like, take care of your mental health because they had something like that occur. And so your body will shut you down. It will, if it needs to, but if you come into the work already curious, you are just starting to feel, you know, and those symptoms are, like I said, impaired functioning is, you know, the, your loss of appetite or overeating sleep disturbances, um, episodes, dysregulated mood. So more anxious, more depressed, all of these are signs of a dysregulated nervous system. Mm -hmm. Your nervous system is brilliant. Your brain and body are wired exactly like to do great things, but you tax them out and they just start to try to, it's like going to a chiropractor and he's like, oh yeah, your whole, you know, hip is messed up because your shoulder's messed up. Right. It's like that's, everything's working. So as you get dysregulated and you're not managing stress well, you're not taking care of yourself, not slowing down, not connecting to yourself, then you get this dysregulation, you get anxiety and depression, mood swings, um, addictions. And so then, you know, all of a sudden it's like, well, I don't want that anymore. So what am I going to do? You can pay attention to it and be like, okay, I need to ask for help. Those are the signs I need to ask for some help, but you're not going to tell somebody's if you're coming to someone like me, we're not going to just tell you how to do it better, like how to push hard better, or how to <laughs> hustle, grind better. We're going to tell you it's time to recover. Mm. What is your recovery practice look like? And is it as strong or stronger than your hustle practice? Because if it's not, you're not going to get to that next step. You're not going to level up from depletion. And so it is often scary for founders to slow down because they think they're going the opposite direction, but they're actually going in the, the right direction to slow that down and recalibrate and recover and restore all of those words, the R E return, remember. Um, <laughs> I do the same thing with yeah. co. I'm like, there are a yeah. million words I love that start with co. Um, Laura, that's a great place to jump off. I just want to make sure for people who would like to chat with you, learn more about what you're doing, what's the best way to connect? And is there anything that we've we've stepped over here that you'd like to mention? Um, I think the only thing I want to mention is that if you're listening to this call and some of this is resonating and, you know, the question I have founders say, when do we know it's time to ask for help? I just want to say that if you are starting to really like not be able to get the sleep that you need, your relationships are being impacted. You're starting to have, um, just overwhelming, like intrusive thoughts of, um, feeling, you know, even of hurting self or hurting others, you know, this, these are not things to feel ashamed of. They're signs that there's too much stress mm -hmm. on the body. So reach out is my, you know, just number one, like reach out and talk to somebody, whether it's, you know, a professional mental health professional 
or a friend, you know, and there's a lot of founder communities out there now that are coming online more and more. Um, I'm doing a lot of work with Founders Taboo in the UK. They have a lovely community. There's Founders First um, is an app here in the US that I am one of their content um, contributors. So there's community in your co-working space. If you're listening to this right now and you're inside, you're a member of a co-working space, ask about the resources that your co-working space has available. And if you're a co-working space operator, think about where you're putting this information. So signage out or things in your newsletter, share resources. So I think that's the most important thing is I don't want to have this conversation without saying that you are not alone and it is normal to have a lot of different experiences as we're facing abnormal amounts and very extreme amounts right now in the world today of stress, uncertainty, um, polarization, right? Fear. So there's a lot of that going around. And so if it's affecting you, just know that it's because something's happening to you that's stressful and you can reach out for help. And then I guess on that note (laughs) is kind of the, where to get that help to is my website, laurashookguzman.com is where people can get in touch with me. You can book a consultation. I do a 15 minute free. Um, and then on my resource page, there are hotlines there, um, for all sorts of different, um, mental health, um, categories. And then also tools for founders project is on my website and just click on that page. That's going to actually give you directly to some of these people I mentioned founders first founders taboo and a lot of downloads for co-working space operators actually that they can just get this information and send it out to their founders. Like you're right there um, talking to these members every day. And so please share that information. Yeah. Always a pleasure and an honor to chat with you, my friend. I always learn a ton and you resonate right with my heart all the time. (laughs) That means so much. I love that. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. We'll link to everything and I will talk with you soon. Thank you, Kat. Thanks it was a Laura. pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening to Coworking Out Loud. Be sure to hop over to katjohnson.co to learn about everything that's happening in the lab, upcoming convos, read new blog posts, and catch up on podcast episodes. See you inside. <laughs>